Hello and welcome to episode number 83 of the Draft Addicts, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is your host, Chris Tripodi, and joining me, as always, is Tony Pauline, as we head to the Midwest to break down the NFL Draft prospects from the Big 12 Conference. We've been splitting these shows into two parts lately, but with the season fast approaching and this conference housing just 10 teams, despite its name, which will always be strange to me, we're going to hit every single one on this show. You ready, Tony? I am. I don't think it'll be that tough because, you know, the uh, Big 12 is usually a top every conference, as it will be again this year. Now, a quick look back at the 2019 draft. The Big 12 had 24 players drafted, not quite the Big 10, which had 40, or the ACC, which had 31. Three first-round picks. Two of them came from Oklahoma, and quarterback Kyler Murray, obviously the number one overall pick, and wide receiver Marquise Brown going to the Baltimore Ravens later in the round. One-third of that 24-player total were from the Sooners as well, eight players in all. Tony, is more of the same ahead for 2020? Well, more in the same in the sense that it will be led by Oklahoma, who will have the most picks and the earliest picks. But I think there is going to be a severe drop-off. I mean, I think they had five top 50 picks uh, in last April's draft. Uh, according to my board, they have one top 50 pick uh, for, for 2020, and he's an underclassman. So uh, a significant drop-off from a conference that, you know, owned the first selection of the draft the past two years. Uh, you know, Kyler Murray this year and and Baker Mayfield at prior draft. Now, start off at Baylor, not exactly a known hotbed of NFL prospect talent, but the Bears have won a bowl game in three of the past four seasons. The other year was their 1-11 campaign in 2017. They kept head coach Matt Rule around after he flirted with the Jets in the offseason. They did have one player drafted last year. That was wide receiver Jalen Hurd. They have two draftable players on our board this year. Another big receiver is one of them in Denzel Mims, second in receptions and receiving yards last year for the Bears behind Hurd. Led the team with eight touchdown grabs, which was actually tied for 10th in the conference as well. Mims had better numbers in 2017 before Hurd transferred to Baylor from Tennessee. He was second team All Big 12 that season, and we'll look to repeat that here in 2019. A couple other names of note. Guard Sam Tecklenburg has made 25 straight starts, two of those at center, 23 at guard. He can play either spot along the interior offensive line. He's slotted in at right guard to start this season. There are two second-team All-Big 12 picks that are rated as free agents on our board in defensive tackle James Lynch and linebacker Clay Johnston. Lynch was a first-year starter last season, finished 10th in the Big 12 with five and a half sacks, nine tackles for loss, had five tackles for loss and three sacks in 2017 as a backup during his true freshman season, should have more opportunity this year to rush the passer, third-year junior with time to develop. Now, Johnston is a two-year starter. He's top five in the Big 12 in tackles with 99 in 2018. But he's a bit small at six foot one, 226 pounds, which puts him right on the borderline of being a draftable prospect. Which Bears are you watching this year, Tony? Well, it would be Mims, who you uh, mentioned at the top. And Mims is a good college receiver. He's a big-bodied uh, pass catcher, six two and a half, 214 pounds, has large, soft hands, wins out for the contested throw. But his problem is the same problem that we've seen from a lot of big receivers that have come out of the Big 12. Alan Lazard, who went undrafted. Little Jordan Humphrey, who went undrafted. Hakeem Butler, who was selected much uh, later than people thought. And that is the lack of speed and quickness, the inability to separate. He's great when he has to out-muscle defenders to come away with the catch, but he can't separate through routes. He can't separate through speed which is why I think he's going to be pushed into the late rounds of the draft. Some scouts have him as a fourth rounder. Others have him as a mid-seventh rounder. I think at best he's a late fifth rounder, more more of a sixth-round talent. Now, Iowa State has had no more than three wins in any season 
from 2013 to 2016. But since then, back-to-back eight and five campaigns. They saw David Montgomery and Hakeem Butler, as you mentioned, get drafted in April. But honestly, there's almost nothing left for the Cyclones this season. Only free agents on our board, and none of them are graded as priority players. Safety Greg Eisworth is our top-graded Cyclone. who's a JUCO transfer. First team All-Big 12 in his debut last season. Finished ninth in the conference with 87 tackles. Has good size at six foot, 205 pounds, but is more of a box safety. Not a guy you're going to rely on in coverage. Defensive tackle Ray Lima and defensive end Jaquan Bailey were named second team All-Big 12 last year. Lima's a run-stuffing defensive tackle, 6'3", 305, zero career sacks. Bailey, on the other hand, finished fourth with eight sacks in the conference last year, sixth in tackles for loss with 14.5, entering his fourth year as a starter. It's a bit small to play defensive end now at just 6'2", 255 pounds. Linebacker Marcel Spears Jr. didn't get any accolades for his 2018 campaign, but he is our second-ranked Iowa State prospect. Finished top 10 in the Big 12 with 107 tackles in 2017. Not as many last season with 69, but he's a good athlete, makes plays in the backfield. Just 215 pounds, though, so he doesn't really have an NFL position. Tony, can any of these Cyclones boost their stock into draftable territory? I think it's going to be tough. I think maybe Eisworth, who I have as the highest rated uh, Cyclone, and he's even a priority free agent on my board. Decent size, goes about six foot, 195 pounds, but he needs to develop his game. You know, came out of junior college, fourth year junior, has an upside, but has to meet it. There are a lot of scouts who like Marcel Spears, who grade him just outside of the draftable range. I still think he's a priority free agent. You know, he's a little bit smallish, uh, six foot, one half inch, about 220 pounds. He runs and plays in the mid four sixes. He goes sideline to sideline. He's very fierce, struggles getting off blocks. Uh, I just think he's more of a situational player. If he has a good season, Marcel Spears, I could see him getting an invite to, to the Shrine game, maybe the NFLPA game, and then he'll have an opportunity with some uh, solid pre-draft workouts, maybe to peak into the very late rounds of the 2020 draft. Now moving on to Kansas here, the Jayhawks haven't won more than three games in a decade, and they're hoping former LSU head coach Les Miles is going to be able to fix that. They didn't have anybody drafted in April, but they do have a sixth-round player on our board who tackle Hakeem Adeniji, a three-year starter, shifted from right tackle to left tackle in the middle of his true freshman campaign in 2016. was named second-team All-Big 12 in 2018. More of a small-area guy and probably ends up being a guard at the NFL level. Defensive backs Bryce Tornadin and Hassan Defense are also on our board as free agents. Tornadin had 91 tackles last year, only one career interception, and nickelback size at 5'10", 192 pounds. As I alluded to, doesn't really have the necessary ball skills. Defense is a two-year starter, five career interceptions, 15 pass breakups. Mostly, I just wanted to mention him because he just has an awesome name for a player at that position. Tony, what does Les Miles have to work with? Yeah, absolutely. Really not much. I mean, because one of the problems with uh, with Kansas and, and the previous coach who's suing the school for back pay is we're poor recruiting classes. Uh, and it's kind of funny that the former coach is suing the school because he probably should have been fired two years ago. They, they gave him some extra time. Getting back to Edeniji, I mean, he's a thick, big-bodied blocker, 6'4 305 pounds, relatively athletic, although he doesn't really play to it out on the field. He's a smart guy. I think he just needs experience. I have him graded right now as a sixth-round tackle. I do agree with you. He may eventually move into guard. I like the position versatility. I think he's the type of guy that the more playing time he sees – the better he's going to get. And the fact that you can line him up at several positions, the fact that he's a smart guy, the fact that people believe he's got some underlying athleticism means he has an upside. So if he has a good season, doesn't get injured, hopefully, 
uh, fits into the late rounds. At the very least, you're looking at a practice squad player in, uh, in the fall of 2020. Now, Kansas State didn't play in a bowl game for the first time since 2009 in Bill Snyder's final season last year. Former North Dakota coach Chris Kleeman replaces him. Dalton Reisner and Duke Shelley were Wildcats taken in April's draft. Reisner in round two. That's not going to happen again this year. But they do have two draftable prospects in quarterback A.J. Parker and tackle Scott France. France has been a starter at left tackle since his freshman season, has a seventh-round grade for us on the board despite all that experience. Parker was a first-year starter in 2018. The junior picked off two passes, but he's just 5'11", 178 pounds. He's going to have to add a bit to his frame if he wants a shot to play on the outside. Fellow cornerback Walter Neal Jr. is even smaller, 5'9", 176 pounds. Needs to improve his ball skills and just another undersized defender. Speaking of guys who might kind of lack size, linebacker Elijah Sullivan missed most of last season with injury. Was granted a medical hardship as a result. He's six foot, two hundred ten pounds, and really getting his first opportunity to play in two thousand nineteen. So it'll be fun to watch him. Defensive end Reggie Walker, on the other hand, not quite as undersized as his teammates at six two, two hundred fifty pounds. Finished fifth in the Big Twelve with seven and a half sacks. He's two force fumbles away from the school record, actually. Tony, defense is the name of the game at K-State this year, it looks like, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely, as it usually is, although uh, the first player taken last year was an offensive lineman. I, I mean, this is a school, this is a program that's in transition, uh, a, a program that made the postseason in the past couple of years with losing records. Uh, you know, I, I, I think most of these guys that I've got potentially uh, as late-round picks could also end up as free agents. Parker, he's a little bit slim. He's fast. I don't know that he's anything other than a uh, dime back at the next level. Uh, Elijah Sullivan, I happen to like, but again, he's very he's small. He's probably going to check in under six foot. Uh, a good running chase linebacker, uh, but needs needs to get a little bit stronger. Walter Neal, even smaller than uh, his teammate, A.J. Parker, 5'8 and a half, probably goes about 160, 165 pounds. So really, you're looking at these guys, even France, the offensive tackle. I mean, these guys at best are situational players. Uh, they're the seventh offensive lineman on the depth chart. They're the sixth or seventh uh, at best, more like the seventh or eighth defensive back who's going to have to uh, play well on special teams. One guy I need to mention, Isaiah Zuber. Uh, a lot of scouts believe that he can slide into the uh, seventh, maybe sixth round. A lot of teams uh, like his pass catching ability. He is a solid pass catcher, but there's just, just no great physical trait to his game. 5'11 and a half, 185 pounds, doesn't have the deep speed, catches the ball well, but you're looking at more of a fifth receiver. I think he's the type of guy that if he uh, does well on special teams, uh, if he re- if he's able to return punts this year, could uh, slide into the late rounds. Right now I have him as a free agent. Now we'll get to the cream of the conference here with Oklahoma. Back-to-back college football playoffs, semifinal losses, also back-to-back number one overall picks in the draft, as you mentioned before. Neither of those seems likely to repeat. The Sooners may even have trouble repeating the eight drafted players that they had last season. Obviously Oklahoma lost from that offense, Kyler Murray, Rodney Anderson, even though they didn't really have much opportunity to play with Anderson last year, and Marquise Brown as well. But several skill players remain. Jalen Hurts was just named the starting quarterback this week. We're all familiar with him from his Alabama days. He could push himself into draftable territory with a big season. C.D. Lamb is going to take over that number one wide receiver role from Marquise Brown. He's six foot two, 190 pounds, finished fourth in the Big 12 with 11 touchdown receptions. Six with 1,158 receiving yards on 65 catches. Lamb's been a starter since he arrived at Norman. He could challenge for the conference lead in receiving. He's not a burner, but he's a really, really good natural receiver. Trey Sermon in the backfield is going to again team up with Kennedy Brooks. 
replacing Anderson as they did last year. Sermon's a big back, six foot, 220 pounds, decent pass catcher and playmaker as well. Now, tight end Grant Calcaterra is a first-team All-Big 12 player last year, led all-conference tight ends in receiving in his first year as a starter after playing behind Mark Andrews. He's a big play threat up the seam. Looking at the defensive side of the ball, Kenneth Murray is not to be confused with Kyler Murray, but his 155 tackles did lead the conference. He can make plays behind the line of scrimmage. He can make plays out to the flanks. He's solid on the blitz as well. Has good enough size at 6'2", 240 to build on his second team All-Big 12 season from last year. He's the highest graded player in the conference on our board and not even a first rounder as Tony alluded to earlier. Defensive tackle Neville Gallimore. He's somebody scouts grade in the top 45. He was a first year starter last year. Mixed in a lot with the first team his first two seasons with the Sooners. He's six foot two, 300 pounds, had five tackles for loss and three sacks in 2018, but he doesn't always play to his size. Now, obviously that was a lot to take in compared to some of the other schools here, Tony, but if any big 12 team deserves the attention, it's Oklahoma. Yeah, they're going to have the most picks from the Big 12. They're likely going to have the very earliest picks. And it starts with Kenneth Murray, the linebacker you mentioned. He's number one on my board. He's the only guy that's got a second-round grade or better from the Oklahoma Sooners. I absolutely love his game. He pops out on you when you watch him on film. Basically, I mean, he's a little bit small. Probably goes about six foot one, under 230 pounds. But he's what every team wants in the linebackers these days, as we've seen with the Roquan Smiths and, and Devin Whites and, and some of the other uh, linebackers. Small. But fast, explosive, can get from point A to point B in a, basically uh, no time at all to make the play, whether it's in a straight line, whether it's laterally. He's decent in coverage. He sells out up the field on the blitz. He's very fierce. He can quickly change direction. He can make plays in any area of the field. Terrific in space. You know, I think he'll just get better as he physically matures. Showed me a lot last year as a true sophomore. I expect uh, some improvement this year uh, as a uh, true junior. Uh, C.D. Glam, I mean, he will be the guy this year. He will be the man. He's not as fast, not nearly as fast as Marquis Brown, but I think he's better in other areas. I think he's just as sure-handed. I think he's a little more physical. What really stands out to me about Lamb is his downfield blocking, a terrific downfield blocker when he was uh, sealing open the lanes for uh, Trey Sermon or some of the other guys, which really helps uh, as far as an NFL draft stock is concerned because if you're a good blocker at receiver, you're likely going to see more time early in your NFL career. I have him graded as a third rounder. There are some scouts who already have him graded as a third rounder. Neville Gallimore is all over boards. I grade him as a late third round pick. I know that there are some scouts who grade him as a mid third round pick. There are some teams that think he's a top 42 choice. I just don't know where Gallimore fits at the next level. I don't see a guy that consistently makes plays. Six foot two, 300 pounds, a good athlete. Is he a defensive end? Is he a defensive tackle? Uh, I don't think he's got the great size or strength for defensive tackle. Maybe he's a three-technique player. I think I could see him there, but you know, there's not a huge market for three-technique tackles. Is he a two-gap end uh, in a three-man line? I, I really want to see him improve the production and be more steady with that production. And, and we got to talk about Jalen Hurts. I mean, you know, the, the, the time is now for Jalen Hurts. He's named the starter. I think the Oklahoma offense really fits him well. He doesn't have to be looking over his shoulder despite all the issues, despite the fact that he lost his job. You know, there are some scouts who like him as a potential fifth-round pick. You know, he's very athletic. He's got a big arm. He's got to improve his accuracy. He's got to show consistent play on the field. Uh, and, and we'll see. I, I think this is a good opportunity for Jalen Hurts. I, I hope he does well. And if he does, we're going to be talking about him as a potential, you know, early day three pick next April. 
Now we'll get to our final five Big 12 teams in just a moment here. But before that, please support the Draft Analysts by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of the big podcast platforms. You can also find us at Believe.com. Leave us a rating and a review. If you have any questions you want answered on the show, tweet us at Chris Tripodi, at Tony Pauline, and at Believe Podcast to get in touch with the show. Now staying in the state of Oklahoma here, moving over to Oklahoma State, the Cowboys have three straight bowl wins. They've won a bowl game in four of the past five seasons. They had two players drafted on day three in April. They should fare a bit better in 2020. Cornerback A.J. Green, not to be confused with the Cincinnati Bengals receiver, is a potential second-round choice. Two-year starter, second-team All-Big 12 selection in 2018. Good size and length at 6'1", 190. 11 pass breakups last season were tied for fifth in the conference. He had four interceptions as a sophomore in 2017, which was tied for second in the Big 12. So obviously the ball skills are there, and overall he's just a very good player without any glaring weaknesses in his game. Rodarius Williams joins Green in the secondary. A two-year starter, six foot, 185 pounds, also has solid ball skills. But Williams is more of a day three player, just a junior though, so he may not declare this year and has some time to move himself up the board. Now, a guy who goes against both Green and Williams every day in practice is wide receiver Taylor Wallace. Led the Big 12 with nearly 1,500 receiving yards as a sophomore. Garnered some All-American recognition. Was a finalist for the Bolitnikoff Award. But is he a system player? Six foot, 185. Speed doesn't really stand out, despite leading all FBS receivers with at least 80 catches in yards per reception. Tony, what do you make of Wallace and his teammates? Well, you know, I agree with you with Wallace. I, I know that there are some people who think that he could be a, a, a top 90 pick. I grade him as a seventh rounder. I like him, but he, there's nothing really that physically stands out about his game. He's got average size. He's got average speed. He's a solid pass catcher. I just don't see him as anything other than maybe a number five receiver at the next level and a guy who could maybe double as a punt returner, which would uh, help his draft stock. I feel the opposite way about A.J. Green. I absolutely love A.J. Green. Some teams grade him as a second rounder, some as a mid-third rounder. I think he fits into that late second round. Outstanding size, six foot one, 195 pounds, decent athlete. He's a guy who's going to run, I would expect, in the uh, mid to low four fours prior to the combine. He's got excellent ball skills. He plays physical football. He works hard to get his head back around to track the pass in the air. He's not just somebody who, you know, plays the receiver's hands and beats down the ball when it gets there. You know, he does a good job positioning himself uh, to make plays uh, against the ball. He's good in zone. He's good facing the action. I like him in man. Physical uh, aspect to his game. Comes up the field to defend the run. I think he's got a good amount of upside. He's just got to polish his game. One guy I got to mention, Calvin Bundage uh, of Oklahoma State. I liked him in 2017. I thought he was a little bit better, or, or I just think he didn't develop the way I had hoped. I have him as a free agent. I know that there are some scouts out there that think he's a six-round pick. He's got the opportunity this year. Again, you know, we go back to Kenneth Murray of Oklahoma. Bundage is the same type of linebacker. Slightly undersized, under six foot two, about 230 pounds, runs and plays in low four sevens, very fierce. Just want to see him really develop his game on the field. Now, TCU has double digit wins in three of their past five seasons, bowl wins in four of the last five. They lost LJ Collier and Ben Banigou to the draft off of last year's defense. This is the third straight team on this show with a highly productive wide receiver. And TCU's is Jalen Rager one of seven Big 12 receivers over 1,000 yards in 2018, second-team all-conference selection, 5'11", 195 pounds, a true game-breaker with returnability as well. And as we know, that always helps players translate 
to the NFL level, especially guys whose games are built on speed and maybe a little bit smaller. Rager has 17 touchdowns over his past two seasons. And a guy who battles him often in practice, cornerback Jeff Gladney, is another second-team all-conference pick, three-year starter, a bit slight at six foot 183, third in the Big 12 with 15 passes defended, including two picks last year, locked down opposing receivers very well overall. Tackle Lucas Niang, like Rager, has a third-round grade on our board, was also named second-team All-Big 12 last year. He's been the starting right tackle for TCU the past two seasons. Some scouts grade him in the top 45, but I know you disagree, Tony. Why is that? Yeah, I just think he's got an undeveloped game. I mean, he looks very impressive uh, on the the field. He's got a long body. He's got a thick build. He does a good job bending his knees. I like his fundamentals. He just doesn't seem very agile on the field, doesn't seem like a great athlete. I think he's a guy. I don't know that he's going to be able to play left tackle at the next level. I think he's only a right tackle. Shows some stiffness in his game. Want to see him loosen up. I, I like his upside. I just don't think that right now, he, he really grades higher than a, a third-round pick. And you are right. There are some scouts out there that absolutely love him. I think they like his upside. They look at his body type. They look at a guy who is, you know, 6'5 and a half, 330 pounds, and he's able to bend his knees real well. He's not a guy who's an arm wrestler. He's a guy who controls opponents with solid fundamental blocking rather than just a size advantage. I just don't see a lot of versatility in his game. It's just got to loosen up a little bit. I do like Jalen Rager a, a lot. I, I mean, here's a guy who, a little bit small, maybe a slot receiver, maybe a guy that you got to line up off the line of scrimmage, but he's got speed. He's got a second gear. He's, he's a legitimate deep threat. He's effective running reverses. He looks like he's got a lot of kick return potential. I think the size is something that will keep him out of the top 40 selections or so. I have him right now graded as a third-round pick. I could see him moving into the second round if he continues to produce. You, you can't help but not notice Rager on, on film when you watch TCU because he's a guy who you know is constantly getting behind defensive backs who are chasing him down the field as he's making long plays. One other guy I want to mention uh, from TCU, junior linebacker Garrett Wallow. Reminds me a lot of Ty Summers, who was a seventh-round pick uh, in this last April's draft in a sense that a little bit undersized, but smart, very athletic, very quick, fast in both a straight line as well as laterally, and also smart. Does a great job reading and diagnosing, doesn't get caught out of position, probably a little more uh, complete in his game at this point compared to where Summers was going in his, into his junior year. So watch Wallow uh, moving forward. He's a guy who's got to get a little bit stronger, a little bit bigger if he can. He's got more safety size and he has linebacker size, but he plays tough football. Now I'll head to the state of Texas here for what most would probably say is the second most highly regarded team in the conference, and that is the Texas Longhorns. Consecutive bowl wins after two losing seasons in 2015 and 2016. Had two defensive players drafted on the third day in April. This is another team and another top wide receiver. This guy we're talking about is Colin Johnson. Very different from Jalen Rager. He's a two-year starter. Just missed out on a 1,000-yard season last year. He was outproduced by little Jordan Humphrey, who did go undrafted in April. But now Johnson's going to lead the receiver corps. For quarterback Sam Ellinger, he's massive at 6'6", 220 pounds. As expected, he's a guy who wins in contested situations, goes up and gets jump balls. Likely say with all these guys, though, time speed matters, and that's going to be the case for Johnson when it comes time for the 2020 draft. Samuel Cosme has been a starter at right tackle since his redshirt freshman season. 6'6", 285 pounds, solid athlete with both growth potential and upside. Definitely a guy to watch on this Longhorns offensive line. Moving to the defense, Safety Brandon Jones rounds out a trio of third-round grades for the Longhorns. 
with the aforementioned Johnson and Cosme. Jones is a two-year starter, missed four games last season with a high ankle sprain, had surgery to correct that issue in February, has good size at six foot one, 205 pounds, a solid athlete. He can play both the run and he can make an impact in coverage as well. So Tony, are the Longhorns set to challenge Oklahoma for Big 12 supremacy this year? Well, they, they almost did it last year. They just couldn't hold on in that fourth quarter. And then they came back to beat up on uh, Georgia, I believe it was in the Sugar Bowl, although Georgia, uh, I think, was really down after, uh, after giving up the game to Alabama in the SEC title game the year after they lost in the final quarter to Alabama in the national title game. You know, you mentioned that uh, Colin Johnson is completely different than Jalen Rager uh, of TCU. But you know what? He's a lot like Denzel Mims of Baylor in the sense that, a very good pass catcher, has soft hands, a big-bodied guy, uh, comes away with the contested grab. I like his focus. I like his concentration. Uh, I like his competitiveness. But like Mims, like Alan Lazard, like little Jordan Humphrey, like Hakeem Butler, I'm concerned about the lack of speed, lack of quickness, the inability to get separation really other than you know, just physically beating down the opponent to come away with the ball. Johnson's a good pass catcher. He's got a lot of natural pass catching skills. He does a good job uh, finding the open spot in the seam. You know, he's a guy who's projected to run in the four sixes. I have him graded as a third round pick right now. There are some scouts who feel he could be first round material. Uh, I think that unless he really shows improved route running, somehow he shows that he's quicker. I think his draft stock will go in reverse before it goes up before it goes north. Uh, on the other hand, I, I like uh, Brandon Jones a lot. I have him graded much higher than a lot of scouts who think he is a sixth-round pick. There are some scouts who agree with me. They have him graded as a second-rounder. I got him in the third round right now. He's a nice-sized, physical safety, tough against the run, shows good range, solid ball skills. I think the way Texas uses him kind of limits him. They play their safeties more in a uh, zone downhill type of situation rather than as a true traditional free safety, which I think uh, Brandon Jones can play. I think he's a guy who's underrated and has a lot of upside. You mentioned Samuel Cosme. Love him. I mean, absolutely love him. He's tall. He's athletic good flexibility, can play left or right tackle. I think he'll be able to uh, protect the blind side of Sam Ellinger with no problem this season. Good footwork, can get out in second level and adjust and take linebackers out, out of the action. Two guys I want to mention, two sleepers. I like Jeffrey McCullough, linebacker. Terrific measurables, 6'2", 245 pounds, runs and plays in the low 4.7s. He's got long arms and big hands. He's a smart guy. Scouts grade him as a street free agent. I think he's a six-rounder. I mean, he stands out to me on film whenever I watch him. You see number 23 all over the place making plays. He's not just a box linebacker. He's not just a downhill linebacker. He's a guy who can get out in space and make plays. He's a guy who gets good depth on his, uh, his pass drops. You know, with the graduation of some of their seniors who are now in NFL camps, I think this is a big opportunity for McCullough. I think he'll respond. And then we also got to mention Parker Braun, who we talked about briefly. Uh, in our ACC, uh, first part of our ACC when we are talking about Georgia Tech because he was really the only uh, Georgia Tech prospect and then he transferred to uh, Texas. He's a fundamentally sound blocker. He's, he's a guy who's got good size, better growth potential. Now he'll be playing in more of an NFL type of offense compared to that option running game that he played at Georgia Tech where he was good, but now we'll see how he translates to something that is more of what he'll be asked to do on Sunday. They'll stay in the Lone Star State here and head over to Texas Tech. Only two bowl appearances for the Red Raiders over the last five years. None of those were wins. 
but Cliff Kingsbury somehow still got an NFL coaching job. We've discussed that at length in the past, so we won't really go into that here. The former Utah State coach, Matt Wells, takes over, and he inherits a program that had no players drafted back in April, although that is something that seems unlikely to repeat next year because we have five draftable players on our Texas Tech board. One of those is wide receiver TJ Basher. Again, lots of receivers in this conference to watch. Basher was a first-year starter last year. Top returning receiver on the team, 54 catches, 687 yards, and seven touchdowns. Those TDs were second only to six foot five Antoine Wesley, who is now in Ravens camp at the NFL level. Vasher himself is six foot six. He's only 210 pounds, though. Very thin, very lanky, questionable athleticism as well. And that keeps him a third day prospect. Linebacker Jordan Brooks has been a starter since he got to Lubbock. Three straight seasons with 85 plus tackles. 6'1", 245 pounds, solid pursuit skills, also adds some coverage ability and potential three-down intrigue as well. So Brooks is definitely a player to watch on the defensive side. Moving back to the offensive side of the ball, tackle Terrence Steele is another three-year starter for the Red Raiders. Moved from left tackle to right tackle as a freshman. He is stuck at right tackle ever since. 6'6", 310 pounds, long arms, but a bit inconsistent throughout his career. This year is really going to be his last chance to pull it all together as a senior and push to go on day two. Do you agree, Tony? Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned the word with Steele, you know, inconsistency, and that's what it is. I have him graded as a fourth rounder. I know there are some scouts who think he's more second, early third round prospect. At the top of his game, he absolutely is a top 75 choice. When he plays with good knee bend, when he keeps his focus, when he keeps his feet moving, he shows the ability to slide out laterally, very good in pass protection, has the size to dominate the opposition in the running game but he doesn't always do it. At times, he looks very athletic, unathletic. He looks very stiff. You know, he's got the body. He's shown the uh, fundamentals. As you said, long arms, uh, arms that are over 35 inches long, from what I'm told. Uh, the upside is there. He just has to play consistently at a high level. You mentioned T.J. Vasher. You can't miss T.J. Vasher because he looks basically like a, a tall pencil out there on the football field. He's a tall, really thin guy, catches the ball well, but like Denzel Mims of Beller, like Colin Johnson of Texas, solid pass catcher who really lacks the quickness to separate uh, on the college level, never mind the NFL level. I like Jordan Brooks a lot. I don't think he developed as the way I hoped after the 2017 season. I actually had him higher rated in 2017 than I did after 2018. You know, a, a quick run and chase linebacker who, as you said, is good in pursuit. The thing with uh, Brooks is when you watch him on film, sometimes he's too quick to come up the field, doesn't stay with his assignments, gets caught out of position. That is a killer. Now our last team here for this Big 12 show is West Virginia. Mountaineers have lost three straight bowl games. They only have one bowl win since 2011, which was a 43-42 Cactus Bowl victory over Arizona State way back in 2015. But the Mountaineers did have a pair of both third and fourth round picks. All of them came from their offense and that should remain the case in 2020, even without Dana Holgerson, who left to take over the open coaching job at Houston. Yadni Kajust was a big name in 2018, ended up being a third-round pick of the New England Patriots. But on this show, we've always pumped up his former linemate, Colton McKivitz. If you go back and listen to episode three of this podcast back in November, we were all over McKivitz. He's a three-year starter at right tackle, moving to the left side now to fill in for Kajust, and is definitely a player to watch. In 2019, one of the better prospects to come out of this conference for next year's draft. Another player to watch, though, is wide receiver TJ Simmons. Obviously, gone are names like David Sills, 
Gary Jennings, Marcus Sims, and even tight end Trevon Weska. Sims' 28 catches for 341 yards and one touchdown are actually tops among returning West Virginia players. He's six foot two, 199 pounds, a former Alabama transfer who has great speed. Obviously, was a bit underutilized down the field last year, but now is his time to shine. It's also the time to shine for tight end Giovanni Haskins, who takes over for Wesco. 16 receptions for 148 yards and one touchdown last year after sitting out the 2017 season, transferring from Miami. Six foot four, 245 pounds. Another guy with this opportunity on offense where he can see a lot more work. Tony, what do you expect to see from this new look West Virginia team? Well, <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Uh, we'll see. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see if it's as wide open as it was in the past. But, you know, you start with McKivitz, who's been a favorite of ours, as you mentioned, you know, really when we started these podcasts a little bit less than a year ago. Uh, if he plays well at left tackle, he's going to really improve his, his draft stock. I have him right now graded as a third rounder. Most scouts see him as a fourth rounder, as a, uh, as a last day pick. Uh, you know, he's kind of uh, – it's kind of strange when you watch him. He looks a little bit stiff. He doesn't play with great knee bend. He doesn't seem to have great footwork, but he's able to slide out off the edge and pass protection. He's able to get out on the second level and take linebackers from the action. He's a terrific run blocker. He's a real good player. I mean, it may be a situation where, you know, the cover of the book really doesn't match the substance of the book with McKivitz. If he plays well at left tackle, and I expect him to because he's got that mentality. He's someone who stood out to me for the last uh, couple of years. Uh, he, he's going to move into the second day, decent arm size, big hands, and he's a smart, tough guy. You mentioned TJ Simmons, huge opportunity for him. I mean, Simmons is probably when you watch him on film was the best of the deep threats last year at West Virginia. He was the guy with the second gear. He was the guy who was able to run past everyone else. The problem is, is with all those other receivers who are now in NFL camps, you know, he just couldn't get on the field to see, uh, to see playing time. And Haskins is a, uh, is an interesting, uh, interesting prospect. He's more of a split the seam uh, kind of guy compared to the tight end they had last year, who's now who was selected by the Jets. He's probably a better pass catcher, not as good as a blocker, uh, but but a guy who you know, if you're looking for a downfield receiving threat, I think Haskins fits the bill. And obviously, we've gone a bit longer on this show than recently, considering we're covering several more teams than we usually do. But before we close out. We'd be remiss if we didn't discuss the Associated Press preseason top 25 that was released Monday. Number one, Clemson, and number two, Alabama, scooped up all the top votes. Clemson had 52, and Alabama had 10. The rest of the top 10 goes as Georgia at number three, Oklahoma at number four, Ohio State at five, LSU at six, Michigan at seven, Florida at eight, Notre Dame at nine, and Texas at number 10. So two teams we covered in this show featuring in the top 10 of the preseason AP poll. Tony, what are your thoughts overall? My problem with all these preseason polls for years now, for years, is that too many of these polls are reliant on what happened at the end of last season or what happened last season rather than what they project to happen in the, in the upcoming season. What do I mean? If you read any of my writings last year, especially with Clemson, I said during my Clemson write-up that I didn't see a team out there that was going to be Clemson, even though Alabama was, was ranked number one in the preseason polls, and I was right. You know, it's not It's not that just Clemson is uh, number one, both in the coaches' poll and the, and the writers' poll. They have a huge number of number one votes compared to Alabama. And I just don't see how. I think Clemson's a good team. But the fact is, is I mean, they were stripped there 
in their defensive front seven, and they lost some great talent. I mean, three guys that were uh, top 18 picks. Uh, their, their fifth man off the bench was drafted. Uh, they had terrific linebackers, most of all who were drafted. You would expect them to have an explosive offense, a balanced offense. But when I compare them to Alabama, I think it's going to be much easier for Alabama's offense, which is also explosive, to score points against the Clemson defense than Clemson's ability to score points against the Alabama defense, which even though they lost players on the defensive line, still have a good defensive line, they got great linebackers. They lost a ton of players in the secondary, but many of the guys they're bringing back this year are even more talented than what they had last year. I mean, my vote would hands down be Alabama number one, Clemson number two. Yeah, it's hard to disagree with that. And I mean, the idea of preseason polls in general is you're guessing. You're just pulling straws at what you think is going to happen the following season. And most people are going to base it on the prior years. And the problem is when you look at two schools like Alabama and Clemson, I mean, especially Alabama over the past couple decades here, they just replenish. There's no sort of rebuild. It comes out where they have players down on the depth chart, below the two deep, that come out and become starters two years later and end up being top NFL draft prospects. Clemson's pipeline isn't quite as deep, which I think is a big reason for you to say that Alabama should be number one. I don't necessarily like the disparity. As you said, 52 votes for Clemson, 10 for Alabama. That should probably be a little bit closer. I don't have a problem with Clemson being the number one team. And overall, I think it's hard to disagree with the top four as a whole. But I do have an issue with the fact that over 80% of the writers in this poll decided that Clemson was the number one team and that Alabama just was number two hands down. Yeah. And again, you know, I think a lot of it is based on what happened at the end of last year, you know, compared to uh, what people project or basically watching the film of last year and subtracting all those players that were lost. I mean, those defensive front uh, seven players, that defensive line from Clemson meant so much to that team. And all the, the, those guys were all early picks in the draft. or, or uh, so, uh, Three of those guys were early picks in the draft, and the rest were uh, uh, later round picks. Yeah, now we'll move down a little bit. We'll talk about the next couple teams here. Obviously, we discussed Oklahoma earlier. Big-time talent on that team, a battle-tested quarterback in Jalen Hurts, and overall just a lower level of competition compared to the SEC, the Big Ten, even the ACC. The top three teams all loaded on both sides of the ball. Three of the likely top four quarterback prospects in the next two drafts are on those teams. Tony, do you see anyone unseating Clemson and Alabama at the top? Well, you know, you got to mention Georgia uh, because they've almost done it uh, to Alabama the last two years. You know, you can't say that they will until they actually do it, but I think their offense is actually going to be a little bit stronger uh, on the field this year than it was a year ago. Uh, you, you expect Fromm to improve. You hope that Swift stays uh, healthy. I think their offensive line is going to be a little bit better. They lost a lot of receivers, but they've got a lot of people in the pipeline to replace them. So I think their offense will be a little bit better. They've got a decent defense, and they're well-coached. I mean, they, they, it, that coach gets the most out of their players. So you got to say, Georgia, you know, one team that's going to be interesting, and I'm going to say right up front, I'm not a real big fan of this uh, program. Uh, for my dad, who really didn't like this program, and we haven't talked about them, but Notre Dame. I mean, Notre Dame's got a ton of talent. They've got a, an immense amount of defensive talent, guys that are going to be early picks, top 90 picks in the draft. They've got a good offensive line. They always find uh, good running backs. They always come up with good receivers. The question for Notre Dame, 
and Brian Kelly is the same this year as it's been literally the last six, seven years. You know, is he going to be able to develop a quarterback? Is he going to be happy with the starting quarterback? Because since Kelly's arrival uh, at Notre Dame, and, and with that first year they played in the national title game and they got beaten up by Alabama, you know, Notre Dame always seems to have the next coming a quarterback and the next thing you know, he's benched and he's transferring to another school. Happened again this year. Uh, so I think Notre Dame, and it's my fault that we've not talked about Notre Dame as far as the pro prospects are concerned. We will soon because they've got a lot of talent and it will come down to their consistency at quarterback and how happy the coach is with the quarterback or whether it's just going to be a replication of what we've seen where he gets frustrated, he gets aggravated, and he goes to another guy on the bench. I mean, the one thing you mentioned, Brian Kelly there, and the one thing that sticks out to me is when Deshaun Kaiser was coming out for the draft a couple of years ago, and Kelly just came out and flatly said, you know, this guy's not ready. And to not put your support behind a guy just because he left, just because he spurned your program, it just doesn't sit well with me. I, I didn't like it at the time. I wasn't the biggest Deshaun Kaiser fan as an NFL prospect, but at the same time, you see all these other coaches. Nick Saban comes out. He'll support players when they leave. Some of these guys will say, you know what, I think they should have stayed another year, but they'll stop there and they'll say, you know, I'm wishing them the best or I have confidence in their abilities. Brian Kelly took it to a whole nother level with his kind of hatred on Deshaun Kaiser after he left. And I definitely don't think that helped Kaiser at the NFL level. I do think they upgraded. I mean, when they added Ian Book to the starting lineup instead of Brandon Wimbush, that team kind of took off a little bit last year. The offense really picked up from there. So it'll be interesting to see if they're able to keep that up, considering the talent they have everywhere else. Another team that I really feel like in that top 10 could make a move, Count Me In is on the Michigan bandwagon. They're going to be favored in all but two games this season. They visit Penn State on October 19th. They host Ohio State on November 30th. It's possible, depending on what happens the first month or two of the season, that they could end up even being favored in those games. So to me, why can't Jim Harbaugh and Shea Patterson make a playoff run this year. All they have to do is win one of those games, avoid upsets, and in the end, it's going to be really difficult for both Alabama and Georgia to both make the playoff. You know, uh, I like Michigan, and I my sentiments are, are basically run parallel with yours on Michigan, but the only thing is, is you're relying on Shea Patterson to get back to where he was in 2017 versus the times last year where he was absolutely awful, and, and that's a big ask. And then you're asking Jim Harbaugh to finally come through in a big game, which he never has. So I agree with you, but there are just two intangibles that you can't rely on. And then going back to your point about Brian Kelly and Deshaun Kaiser, you know, Kelly saying that Deshaun Kaiser was not ready for the NFL. Well, you know, whose fault is that? <laughs> when has uh, Brian Kelly developed a quarterback at Notre Dame that was ready for the NFL? Go back to who – and I apologize – who was the kid that first year was there? They went to the national championship, and then basically Kelly threw him to the curb. He ended up playing for Florida State for a year or two. Forget his name. I, I completely apologize. Wasn't drafted. Really didn't make any ripples. But, you know, if Brian Kelly is out there saying things about that, you know, about Deshaun Kaiser, he's got to really look in the mirror because he hasn't developed any NFL type of quarterbacks where the situation has been different for some of the defensive players, the offensive lineman, obviously, he's had running backs uh, that have played in the NFL. Uh, you know, again, I like Notre Dame, but my concern is the quarterback position, and it's not so much the talent at the quarterback position. It's really the, the, the way that Kelly is so quick to pull these guys out and basically send them to the bench. Are you talking about Everett Golson? That's the guy I was talking about. Thank you. 
No problem. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing. It's, it's his job to get these guys ready. And, I mean, in hindsight, he was right about Deshaun Kaiser, so maybe we shouldn't be ripping him. But at the same time, if you're right, talk to the kid. Bring him in. Tell him that he's not ready. Rather than just saying that stuff to the media when you could be telling the kid that. And you know what? Maybe Kaiser had his heart set on leaving. He ended up being a second-round pick. Obviously, it hasn't worked out for him, but it's not like he was a fifth-round pick or something like that. He didn't end up you know, dropping four rounds by staying in school like maybe someone like Matt Barkley did a while back or anything like that. But it's Brian Kelly's job to develop a quarterback. It's Brian Kelly's job to win football games, and you need to develop a quarterback to do that. It's enough kind of ripping on, on Brian Kelly. I want to talk about a couple teams that I feel are a bit overrated in the top ten before we wrap the show up. I really want to say that the Florida Gators are a bit overrated, but it's going to be tough for them to lose a game in September. They face Auburn on October 5th. The biggest early challenge they have is probably at Kentucky on September 14th. So while I want to say that Florida shouldn't be in the top 10 or they're going to fall out at the beginning of the season, barring some huge upset, I don't really see that happening. Another team that I feel like could fall out of the top 10 by the first month or two is LSU. They go to Texas in their second game. From game six to nine, they host Florida and Auburn. Then they travel to Alabama. It's definitely possible that they only win six of their first nine games and a six and three record. You're going to fall out of the top 10 by that point in the season. Obviously, LSU is always going to have talent on both sides of the ball, whether it's receivers, whether it's defense, whatever it is. But personally, I need to see a bit more from Joe Burrow under center to put everything I have behind LSU, considering that four of their first nine games are against other teams that are ranked in this top 10. You know, the thing about LSU is they always find a way to get it done. I, I mean, even when you count them out, except for, you know, towards the end of the Les Miles uh, era, they, they, they find a way to get it done. The thing about Florida, I would agree with you. Uh, you know, they lost Ja'Kai Polite, who was a big-time player for them last year. They lost uh, Taylor, the offensive lineman, but they're a well-coached team. I mean, that guy is a real good coach. He's a good quarterback coach. He gets the most out of his players. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think their talent really stacks up with some of the other teams, but they're just well-coached. They execute the game plan, and, and they're enjoyable to watch. And that's all for the 83rd episode of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. We'll move on to the Pac-12 in our next episode, so tune in next Thursday as we go over the top prospects from the West Coast schools that you'll have to stay up late on Saturday nights to watch. The team prospect previews formerly found at draftanalyst.com are now over at profootballnetwork.com. So head over there for those write-ups and grades for every ranked player from the programs that we've covered so far on the show. For Tony Pauline, this is Christian Cody. See you next week.